What a great worship set today. Just love to come together and worship the Lord. All right. Well, welcome to Mission View Church. My name's Matt. I'm lead pastor here at Mission View. If this is your first time joining us today, welcome. We're so glad you're joining us. And welcome to everybody online joining us as well. Glad that you're here with us. Uh, we are in a sermon series called Mass Gatherings. Uh, we've been in 1 Corinthians. Uh, this week, we're going to take a look at chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, we're spending our, our uh, morning in the infamous love chapter. I uh, debated on whether or not to come out and begin the sermon this way. Love, true love, brings us together. No, sorry. Yeah, yeah. That went over actually pretty well. Maybe, you know. Maybe I should have done that one. Anyways, this is the uh, love chapter. Uh, you're, you're probably really familiar with this one. It starts out like love is patient, love is kind. It has that, that, that in it. You've heard it because it's probably given at every uh, wedding ceremony that you've been to. It is, it is the famous wedding you know, love uh, chapter here in the Bible. Now, the funny thing about that is that the context, uh, as we know, because we've gone through the entire book of 1 Corinthians up to this point, is that the context of this chapter is in regards to unity in the church. So this love that Paul's talking about and defines here in 1 Corinthians is actually the love that we are to have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's this beautiful picture of what it means to live out our lives together on purpose, on mission for God, loving one another. It's this really, really cool thing. Now, yeah, I know when you get married, you're, you are marrying your brother or sister in Christ, and this does you know, kind of go along to that, that we should live out this kind of love for our spouses as well. But, but it's neat to know that the context of this is unity in the church, using our gifts for the common good, and because of the love of God that he has for us and the love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So really cool stuff. I'm excited to share this with you uh, this morning. But let's just pray before we read God's word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And, and we thank you for this wonderful time of worship that we've had. Uh, we just uh, reflect on your glory. We reflect on your beauty and we reflect on your love for us. So amazing, so unmerited, and the favor that we have found in you because of your goodness and your choosing is just beyond our comprehension. So, Father, this morning, as we open your word, I pray that you would open our comprehension. God, that you would open our minds and our hearts and our understanding. God, we pray for a fresh revelation of your love from your word, that as we read your word, it would come to life as your Holy Spirit bears relevance and truth to our hearts. Change us for your glory. That we would walk out of here after those watching online finish watching online, that we would be changed. We wouldn't be the same because we have met with our Creator and we understand Him and, and have communed with Him. Father, come be God in our midst as we surrender this time in our lives forever to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as, so as to remove mountains, 
but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face. Now, I know in part. Then, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Last week, we ended the sermon with Paul saying, Yet I will show you a better way, something greater. He left us with this idea that there is all of that's been said and all that we've talked about, this common good of using our gifts, of coming together as a church unified and and all of this stuff, that there's, there's something underneath. There's something that permeates everything that we do, that fuels and motivates and, and is around, underneath, above, in all that we do in the Christian walk, all that we do here specifically in the body of Christ for one another. And that is love. The Christian life is meant to be marked by this amazing love. It's amazing love. I better stick to my notes. I'm going to preach a whole different sermon here. Let's look at those first three verses. I love these first three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. You can have all prophetic powers, mysteries and knowledge, all faith, remove mountains. But if you don't have love, we are nothing. We can give away all we have. We can do all the good works you want to do. We can even deliver up our bodies to be burned. But if we don't have love, we gain nothing. The first fill-in in your notes is this. And what Paul, I think, is really trying to get across to us is that God looks at the motivations underneath our actions. God looks at the motivations underneath our actions. You can say it this way. God is after your heart. God is after your heart. We look at what people do. God looks at why we do what we do. God measures our motivations. He is the only one that can measure our motivations. I mean, we can read scriptures and find the the laws or, or the rules that are in there. We can delineate principles and applications from God's word. But what does that mean for us? What does it do for us? The church in Corinth 
had looked at God's word and looked at what God was doing, and they began to, to elevate the gifts and the ones that were using their gifts. They began to worship those people and those gifts, so much so that it was dividing the church. What God meant to be a good thing that would draw us together in unity had become something that they divided over, began to worship. The church was becoming a place where you would come to watch the show. Ecstatic tongues and miraculous healings by so-and-so or such-and-such. Paul is saying, you can do all this stuff. You can use your gifts, but it's all for nothing. If your motivations are not firmly founded in your love for God and love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul strikes right at the heart of the matter here by pointing out that there is more to the story than what is seen on the outside. We can do all the right things, say all the right words, but if these actions and words are not motivated and sustained by our love for God, they mean nothing. There were some strong statements Paul made there. The faith to move mountains. I mean, think about that. That's pretty crazy. You could, have, you, could, you could give everything you have to the poor. In fact, you could offer up your entire life, your body, every moment to be burned. But if it's not motivated, sustained by the love that you have for the Lord and the love that you have for your brothers and sisters in Christ, it means nothing. That's some strong statements. For us today, it's important not to fall into the same trap that the Corinthians did. Don't get caught up or obsessed with works, spiritual gifts, or even rule following. But rather get caught up and obsessed with Jesus. We can have every spiritual gift, but it's all meaningless if those gifts aren't expressed in love. So how do we do that? Right? How do we not fall into that same trap that the Corinthians did? It's difficult, right? It's difficult. How do, so how do we do that? Every Christian action, word or deed, needs to be motivated and sustained by the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. I, I think that's one of the, one of, I think, overlooked things in Christianity. The gospel. Uh, we... We're all about the gospel when it comes to saving faith. We're all about the gospel when it's evangelism and when we're talking to our neighbors about Christ and sharing the good news. And we're all about the gospel when it comes to salvation, that moment where God reveals himself and makes himself known to those who don't know him. I like to call them pre-Christians. When God just really reveals himself to them, we're all about the gospel. And then once the job's done, once people meet Christ, we kind of, that goes on the back burner. And we, then we have, you know, the list of things. We have the Ten Commandments, and then we have these spiritual gifts. And, you know, then Paul talked about the different stations in the church, you know, apostles and teachers and shepherds, all this different stuff. You know, we have other things we need to move on to. What we forget is that the gospel, this good news of Christ, isn't just for our salvation. It is for our sanctification, and it's the thing that is underneath and fuels and motivates these good works. It's, so he's just given us these stations in the church. He's just given us these gifts. And he's going to talk about them more in the next chapter. It's kind of these three chapters are kind of like an Oreo. 
you have these, these two sections that really talk about the gifts and different things. And then you have this, the creamy goodness section, which is the love of God, right? This love thing. That these things are motivated and, and just, just sustained by love. And we experience and understand and come to deeper understanding of the love of God in the gospel. The good news. I wanted, this is, I'm really excited about this. I wanted to do something really practical today. I want us to have a gospel reflection together. And practice this is something that you can practice at home on your own. You can practice this in your quiet times when you're alone with the Lord. And this is just a time of reflection on the gospel and what it means for us. It's something that I've practiced and has changed my life as I reflect on the gospel. So I want us to do this together today. So let's just do this. Take a deep breath, everybody. Ready? Deep breath. In through your nose, out through your mask. We do a gospel reflection. You can close your eyes. I like to play worship music in the background. We don't have any of that, but that's okay. Take a moment to remember your life and eternal destination before Christ invaded your heart. We were enemies of God, slaves to sin, condemned to an eternity in hell, a real place of eternal torment. Because of the fall in the garden and because of our choosing to sin, we were the walking dead. There was no life in us. But God, in his great mercy and grace, because of his great love with which he loved us and lavished his grace and mercy upon undeserving sinners, he sent his son Jesus to live up to his perfect righteous standard. Although Christ was tempted, he did not sin. Being without sin, he did what we could not do. God's wrath against sin demanded justice. A great price had to be paid for the sins of the world. Jesus, this pure, spotless lamb, was to be slain for my sin. Brothers and sisters, it was our sin that held him there on the whipping post, enduring a beating that would leave him unrecognizable. It was our sin that held him there on the cross until he would breathe his last breath. In this moment of affliction, we weep for our sins. And by God's grace, we have a deeper understanding of his sacrifice and love for us. God, forgive us. God, forgive me. I am a sinner. But we don't stay there because Jesus lives the joy of our salvation is found three days later when Christ rose from the dead, defeating sin and death for you and me. By this great sacrifice and victory, God has taken us from slaves to sin to slaves to righteousness and slaves to Christ. In this great salvation, we are free to live for righteousness and by the power of His Spirit that lives in all believers. And now, we can choose righteousness because his power lives in you and me. This is the joy of our salvation. 
This is our hope. This is the good news. And this is where we find the motivation to read God's word, to come to worship, to attend church with other believers, to do good works, to use our spiritual gifts, and to share our testimony. This, my friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of the Christian life finds its motivation and endurance in the gospel. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son. Help us, help our hearts to never grow cold to the gospel, Jesus. Help us to never grow cold. The more we grow in our understanding of the gospel and the love of God, the more we will be able to share that love and live that kind of love. So Paul goes on in verse 4 and he gives us this amazing biblical definition of love. He says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy your boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The second filling in your notes was this, is that love isn't about our emotions. Love isn't about our emotions. The first thing I'm pointing out here in this section is what's not there. What's not listed in this biblical definition of love. Love is not how you feel. We, you know, it's like love is, love is how you feel. It's these butterflies. You, I just can't explain it. It's these butterflies you get when you look into her eyes or his eyes. It's the knight in shining armor. Love is love. No. God is love. There is no mention of warm fuzzies, knights in shining armor, princesses, butterflies. No. It's patience. It's bearing all things. Who here just loves patience? I mean, you love it. It is your favorite thing in the whole world. You're one of those people that just drives to Cleveland at rush hour so you can sit in traffic and enjoy your patience. Anyone? Anyone here? No, that's hard, isn't it? Patience is hard. I hate sitting in traffic. I got things to do, people to see, right? Patience is difficult. It's a sacrifice. In fact, if we just go through this list, I mean, most of these things that Paul lists here are sacrificial. I mean, we have to give up something to to have these things in our lives. There's, man, it's not just not warm fuzzies. It's, It's sacrifice. It's giving up something. I love that kindness is listed right there with patience, right? I just love that. Because I don't know about you, when my patience is being tested, that's when I'm kind. Right? I mean, you know... I mean, we're really honest, you know. It's like, it's like when I'm really, when I'm sitting out in the driveway for 15 minutes waiting for my wife to get to the meeting we were supposed to be out 10 minutes ago, that's when I'm really kind. Right, Joe? <laughs> no, that's when I need to repent. You know, it's when I'm impatient and when I say something stupid 
because I, I'm impatient, right? Oh, this, this biblical definition of love is something we can hold on to and we can celebrate because it is a perfect description of Christ. That's really what he's talking about. These are the things that we aspire to and we look to in Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can grow in each of these things. Praise God. But we look at these, this list and we look at what Paul's talking about and we say, thank you, Jesus. Because Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He doesn't insist on his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. He doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. He rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and he's enduring all things. We see this amazing picture of Christ. We see this amazing definition of love and we have to realize that we have been brainwashed. We have been lied to. Our culture today, in the movies and you know, rom-coms, whatever you want to say, whatever you I mean, it's all out there. It's all about this emotionalism and this idea that, oh, this love is this black hole. I just I was walking along the stage and just fell right into it. And and therefore, I could just fall right out of it. I fell out of love with him. There's so many times I have gotten together with couples for marriage counseling. I just fell out of love with him. <laughs> or I just fell out of love with her. <laughs> really? Hmm. Love isn't something you fall into. It's not something that you fall out of. Love is not what you've been told by Disney. Love is not what you've been told by the romantic comedies that you've seen. Love is perfectly shown and perfectly expressed in the gospel, in the person of Jesus Christ. Love is all about others. Jesus showed us what love is when he sacrificed himself. When he did something for us. Love is a God-commanded, Jesus-inspired, and Spirit-empowered choice. Let me say that again. <clears throat> Love is a God-commanded, Jesus-inspired, and Spirit-empowered choice. We find the inspiration for that choice in the gospel that we've talked about already. That's why I wanted to do that gospel reflection right up front. Because what we're going to find out is as we go through this, this text, that is the, the foundation and that is the fuel for this, this love that God calls us to. God never asks us to do something that he won't empower us to do. God will give you the strength, patience, kindness, compassion, or whatever is needed to love as he commands us to love. I don't know what you're going through. And as we're talking through this and, and we see this, this picture of love, this, this definition, you may, your marriage may be on the rocks. 
or maybe your relationship with your mom or your relationship with your brother or sister or dad or whatever it may be. Maybe it's just really difficult. Maybe you're going through something even difficult with a brother and si- or sister in Christ. And we get to points in these relationships sometimes where we are just so deeply wounded. It is so hard when someone that we've trusted, someone we've invested in, in our time and and emotions, and, and we've been vulnerable with, turns on us and says something horrible or, or does, does something unthinkable. The Bible tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who hurt us. Man. In this definition of love, we see Something impossible if it weren't for Christ. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit who lives in you and me. If it weren't for the picture of Christ's life and and his, his suffering for you and me and his resurrection. This would be impossible, but it's not possible because of Jesus. It's not impossible because of the gospel. And what I'm telling you right now is as you reflect on the gospel and you focus and just meditate on it and you let it just sink in and, and just go through your life like a sponge. If you're just like a sponge with the gospel, what you're going to find is that God is going to give you the power to walk out love for the people that have hurt you the deepest. For the people that have done more harm in your life than you could bear. God will change your heart. Because he's the only one who can do it. There's hope because of the gospel. Paul goes on in verse 8. He says, love never ends. Isn't that good to know? After we have this amazing biblical definition of love and we're talking about what it means for you and me today, the empowering, this amazing life-changing thing, he says it's never going to end. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they pass away. As for tongues, they cease. As for knowledge, pass away. This is really cool. This is what he gets into right here. We're going to really focus on this for a second. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. I'm going to jump to verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then... I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. There is this idea of there's something going on now, and and then there's something going on then. There is a now, and there is a then. And the third fill in your notes is this. We don't see everything clearly. We just have to humbly admit that we don't see everything clearly. That's what Paul says. Now we see dimly. But the things clearly seen should lead us to love one another. That's the third point. We don't see everything clearly, but the things clearly seen should lead us to love one another. We have a relationship with Jesus now. We have knowledge of God now. We have the gifts of the Spirit now. We have understanding now. All of these things are given to us by God for His glory and our good. But Paul is pointing out that these things are not the end game. 
This knowledge that we have now is not the end game. These gifts that we have now, the fruits of the Spirit that we have now, bring joy and fulfillment, but they are not the end all. They point us to something greater, something bigger. Jesus tells an amazing parable in Luke chapter 19. I'll share it with you. He says this, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, this is Jesus, because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God, that is the rule and reign of God, was to appear immediately. The now, not the then. They thought that was coming now. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little You shall have authority over ten cities. And then the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you put your money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more, has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Wow. Our king has come and gone. He left us his spirit and his word to guide, direct, comfort, convict, sustain, encourage, and empower us while he's away. And in this time, things are difficult, foggy, murky, or dim. But he has given us work to do and we have a responsibility. Things may seem murky, cloudy, or there is a fog. It's like looking into a mirror dimly. We see it, but it's, it's not quite clear as it, it will be when the lights are fully on or when the sun comes again. And Jesus is coming again and that's the point. That's what Jesus, that's what Paul's getting at. Don't divide over things that you don't fully understand in the interim. Don't divide, church, don't divide over things that you don't fully understand in the now. Because there is a then coming. And that's when Jesus comes again. The perfect that Paul is talking about, let me just be really clear here, I think some misunderstanding, is not this. It's not the Bible. It's Jesus. Jesus is the perfect. When he comes again, that's when we will see. That's when we will see clearly and we will be fully known. 
the Bible is God's perfect word. But in this section, Paul's saying the perfect when Jesus comes again. So in the meantime, don't divide over these silly things that you really don't understand anyways. Now think about this. As I've really reflected on this, there's something the church has been really divided over. Spiritual gifts. (laughs) And the whole point of this text is that we would be unified in the things that we don't really fully understand. We'd be humble enough to say, I really don't fully understand this, so let's not be divided. Wow. I think we've really missed the boat on a couple of these things. At Mission View Church, we talk about some of these things as spine issues and rib issues. Let me just clarify for you what that means. There are spine issues in the Christian faith, or you would call them orthodox Christian beliefs. These are the things that we hold with a closed fist. These are the things we will die on a hill defending. These are things like Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's why I love that song, The Way, The Truth. That like the world says there is no real truth, and the Bible says Jesus is the truth. We have truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. That we will not, we will die on a hill saying Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other way to heaven. Jesus is it. We will die on a hill that we serve a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. And we're humble enough to say, We don't fully comprehend that. We are humble enough to say that that's what the Bible teaches, but our human minds are limited. And I would even say that if I could explain to God fully to you and just understand him all, what kind of God would he be? (laughs) I'm just going to say that. That Christian faith is a faith, a God-given and a God-empowered faith. There is faith to this Christian thing. There's lots of different spine issues and there's lots of different rib issues. So examples of rib issues. That the, the gifts, every gift listed in the New Testament continues today. Or some of them have ceased. There's probably people sitting in this room even now or watching online that believe that all of those gifts are available right now, right here. And some of you sitting out there think that some of those gifts have ceased and stopped. And some of them have continued on. We don't make that a spine issue. We make that a rib issue. And we can partner in the gospel, and we can work together, and we can be unified pursuing the mission that God has set before us, because that's not a, a spine issue. It's a rib issue. And we don't, we don't make rib issues spine issues, because now we see dimly. But then we will see face to face, and he will make those things clear. So... I come to you, and we go to our partner churches in humility, and we say, let's partner for the gospel. Let's hold these spine issues as spine issues, and let's do the work of the kingdom for God's glory and reach those who are lost. I mean, the very, the very point that this scripture was written, and it talking about the spiritual gifts and these things, it's been this Chapter 12 in in 1 Corinthians has been a dividing line for churches for hundreds of years. And it's written to unify the church. That's the whole point, to unify the church. So as your pastor and, and one of the elders of the church, and I can speak for the other elders too, we want to approach God's word and the things of spine issues strongly, and we will die on a hill for those things. 
and these other things we will approach with humility. And above all else, love. Love for our brothers and sisters in Christ who don't believe the same way we do on some of issues. We will love them. We will work alongside them. We will partner with them. We will pray for them. And we will humbly serve them. Because that's what love is. And that's what God calls us to. Praise the Lord. What an amazing chapter of Scripture. I've, I, there's so many different ways to preach this love chapter. I've preached it multiple times. And John MacArthur did this great sermon that he kind of borrowed from Jack Arnold. And the, the permanence and preeminence and persistence of love. Just this really cool picture that's painted here. You know, this chapter 13 is a song. It's, and a lot of theologians believe that Paul wrote this song and then just added it in because he's like, you know, giving the churches a hard time through chapters, you know, 12 and 14. He's like, man, I, I need to put some salve on this. And really know, they need to know that God's going to empower them with this love because of love, because of Christ. And that's how he's going to hold us all together. We need to love each other and pray that God, through the power of his spirit, gives us the strength to go to one another in love and care for each other well. I just want to give you some practical ways to do that here at Mission View Church. If you're not a part of a community group, you got to get involved in community groups. You, you have to be in a community group. We call this doing life together. Gathering one time every week or twice a month, however the community group is set up for you. We, it's a time where we open God's word. It's a time where we pray for one another. We talk about life. We talk about God working in our lives. And, and, and it's in those moments, in, in community groups, in doing life together, that this kind of stuff is meant to be lived out. As you pray for one another and the struggles that your brothers and sisters in Christ are having, that you can... Iron sharpens iron, and encouragement can happen, and your spiritual gifts will come to life as you're encouraging your brother or sister in Christ or challenging them in their faith. It's a just real practical way to get involved in a community group. Get involved in the women's ministry. Get involved in men's ministry. Here's another real practical way to do it. Serve. Use your gifts in the church. You can serve on the the uh, first impressions team, you can serve on the hospitality team, you can serve in the children's ministry, you can serve in the worship ministry, you can serve on the setup teams. We have hundreds of people it takes to pull off the Sunday morning services that we have. And God has called you here to use your gifts. You know what the one thing I, I want to say is like you can go on a missions trip. We haven't been on a mission trip in so long. I cannot wait for us to be able to go on a mission trip. Can I get an amen on that? We are Mission View Church. You know, I can't wait to get back to Guatemala and see the kids that I got to play with and pray for and, and visit all of our missionary partners as well. So I want to encourage you with that. You know, we're praying that God would continue to work the miracle of getting rid of COVID so that we can go and, and minister in other countries as well. So anyways, those are some practical ways that you can get involved, that you can use your gifts, and you can see um, 1 Corinthians 13 come to life um, in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us. And your word says that we love you because you first loved us. In that simple statement, there's so many deep things 
that we need. And those, one, of the, one of those is that we need to understand your love for us even more and more. So God, we pray that you would reveal your love. Deepen it in us. Open our minds and our hearts. Open our eyes to see your favor and your grace and your mercy. God, that it would be just filling us so much that it overflows onto our coworkers and our family members and our friends. God, that it would just overflow out of us. I pray right now for everyone watching online, everyone here in the building, God, that you would give them divine encounters with people this week that they can show the love of God to. Practical ways that they can just show your love to people that need to see it, that need to experience. Give us those opportunities for your glory, God, and for your kingdom that we would be used by you. Father, do what only you can do in our lives. Change us for your kingdom and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.